Bonjour, bonsoir, comment vas-tu? Yes, it's me again, pulling off the worst French accent you've heard since the Bond films. Uh, it is Chris, I am your host for this week's French Football Weekly. Thank you, as usual, for tuning in. And, like a good game of bingo, tonight is full house. Got all the crew with me tonight, so how on earth am I going to not get Jez and Rich mixed up? Well, hopefully I can just sail through it and nobody will notice. Uh, because, indeed, first of all, we have Jez, so good evening to you, Jez. Hi. And indeed, we have Rich or Jez, whichever you want to call. You can call each other whatever you like. You can rotate it. Hello, Rich. Welcome back. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Uh, if you if you missed last week's show, Rich, um, I I referred to you several times, even though you weren't here. So um, thanks for being part of the show last week. So influential. <laughs> indeed. Uh, and last, of course, but not least, uh, it's the brains behind the operation. It's uh, good evening to Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello. Right. Uh, good evening, one and all. And as I say, thank you very much for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the new format. Enough of the niceties. Let's jump straight in. Now, of course, it's an international week. And anybody that knows me knows that I'm not the biggest fan of international football, uh, unless it's French or Swedish. Um, luckily, as a French football show, we will be talking the French national team shortly. So fear not. But before we do that, there was a, a transfer window. I don't know if did any of you guys notice this. Uh, it was a rumour that this transfer window was coming. It's a shame that the media don't really report on it these days. It's, it's a crying shame, isn't it? But, <laughs> you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try our best to uh, pick through it. So um, I'm just going to come to you all individually, just briefly, and, and maybe you can all just give us one piece of business, good or bad, that you feel um, this window is, has displayed, if you will, uh, leaving out the obvious ones, maybe, um, particularly on deadline day. Uh, Rich, let's start with you. Anything that you particularly pulled out as a good or bad signing from that end of, uh, end of window skirmish? Um, I really liked uh, Nampalis Mendy back to Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a signing that could just give them a bit of a boost. Um, a player they know very well, can come back, can slot into that midfield, um, can hopefully regain um, the best form out of Cosiello. Um, and we obviously know how well uh, that, that trio along with Seri works. So really, really like that move. That's a, a good shout, that, actually. I, I like uh, Mendy. Um, you've got to wonder if that signing was done with the idea that Seri would go or to add to, because that's two bloody good Well, I think, I think they're quite liking Seri in that more advanced role. Mm. Um, and so Mendy coming in is obviously a much more defensively-minded player, will allow perhaps Seri to, to continue with that role to keep him happy until his inevitable January move. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. And, of course, Cosiello gives him another six months to develop a little bit more before he's sort of first team, uh, well, not ready, he's already ready, but gives him that little bit more, more time to adjust uh, without too much pressure on his shoulders. So that's uh, a good move. What about yourself, uh, Phil? Did you see any particular, um, maybe, maybe find us a bad move? Let's bring the tone down. Oh, no, because I was going to say I was very... Um, I was very interested to see Eamon Abdenor coming in on loan to Marseille because the degree of um, kind of concern from some of uh, their supporters about um, some of the issues with the team. I mean, a man who, in a sense, is his own uh, description of a tackle, a very Abdenor tackle, um, you know, he should help if he can stay on the pitch. I thought that was a, was a good one. Um, so 
I think that will be will be an interesting move as they have got uh, shored up at the back there as well as obviously with the Metroglu um, deal coming in to provide some cover for Valajamat. So I think Marseille did finally did also some so, so some business late that may hopefully allay some concerns of their fan base. Yes, yes, that's a, that is that is a decent shout. So, uh, sorry, Jez, but it falls on you to find some doom. Um, in the interest of not setting you up too much, you can have a good one as well if you like. But is, was there any sort of moves that you looked at and thought, hmm, not so sure about that one? Um, maybe at your own club? I'm sorry, am I poking the bear a bit here? But <laughs> um, Well, I guess jury's out, but... Um... I don't think Mets have had a very good transfer window at all. I'm they sorry. brought in <laughs> two strikers. Um, well, let's say they got rid of Ismail Assar and Sheikh Diabate, who between them kept Mets up last year. And they've replaced them with Nolan Rue and Emmanuel Riviere. Um, to be honest, I'm actually more optimistic about Riviere than I am about Rue. Um, I don't expect either of them to to set any part of league out on fire except possibly the met stands from angry fans i don't know <laughs> um yeah it's not it's not a happy camp at mets at the moment the fans are not happy at all um in terms of more positive moves the two that stand out for me is the sort of that happened kind of in the last couple of days were um, Nicolas de Preville to Bordeaux, but I think we'll probably discuss that in a bit more depth later. And um, the other one is um, Yusuf Benasser to Caen. Um, that's just a loan deal, but I think he's an excellent midfielder. He was superb for Nancy as they got promoted a couple of years ago. was solid enough for them last year as they got relegated. And um, it, he's yet another one of the, the talented youths that are on Monaco's books. But obviously... Um, Jardim didn't intend to, to play him too much this coming year. So I think it's it's a really good move to, to go out and loan again for um, in Liga, get some good experience elsewhere. And I think he could be a, a very canny signing for Cor. Mm. You do wonder, um, I apologise in advance for this pun, but uh, will Mets need a bit of R&R after Rue and Riviere come through the end of the season? Oh, oh, there's there's one, more, one more pun to come, actually, which is another uh, con uh, recruit, which is Jan Rupa uh, from Domzale, who we saw in the Europa qualifying earlier, and Jez has already been getting his making a meal of... <laughs> making a meal of that puns together so we're, we're hoping that uh, Mr Rupa uh, does well for Colm and at least get some, get some game time. Yes, very much so. Um, all I can say is thank, uh, thank your lucky stars that you're not part of a podcast that has a manager in the championship called Daniel Farke um you can imagine what sort of puns go down uh, on, on our other pod for that one so um, keeping it I'm French, still though, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for Ariola moving to Brest. If that <laughs> oh. ever happens, I'll die happy. Very good. Very good. Um, and of course, the Dijon cutting the mustard puns, of course, they always come out as well. So <laughs> yes, dear, oh dear, I can hear the clicks of people turning off as we speak. So let's hastily <laughs> move forward. Um, Rich, let's come back to you. Uh, sort of summing up the window as a whole then we, we've picked out a couple of deals there between us uh, that we particularly like and a few that maybe we didn't like um 
working it in i'll ask you all individually talk to us about your own club's business that being of course ren um, and the window as a whole in in liga are you quite impressed with what business has been done uh, and, and is there sort of any do, do you think Ligue 1 will be better for the business done in this particular window uh, the league as a whole I think I've, I've mentioned it numerous times over numerous outlets the league as a whole is is probably going to be worse off you know we've had the usual glut of players leaving the division um and then obviously internally we've had that big Mbappe transfer, which just signalled any end of a you know a, a title race um, this season. I can't see any you know PSG should be as they were a couple of years ago, having this sewn up, done and dusted by mid March. So for the league as a whole, you know it's great that there's been you know a lot of uh, um, a lot of interest in the league with so many players leaving yet again, but certainly for a, a far chunkier sum of money than we might have initially expected. Um, so that's obviously good to see, but I think when you actually analyse some of those transfers, looking at the league as a whole, it, you know, Monaco have obviously lost so many players. I mean, they've recruited exceptionally well as well, but, you know, losing Mbappe to PSG, that for me was just the one that, that means we, you know, we, we don't have that exciting league that we will, certainly the exciting title race that we had last season. Um, I still think we're going to get plenty of excitement further down the table, but you know, a, an exciting, closely fought title race is obviously going to be, um, you know, a, a real, a real sort of selling point for the league. So the fact that we've lost that um, is not great. Um, looking then more closely at. At Ren's transfer window, it's quite a curious one. It sort of started off really well, I thought. Um, you know, they went out there and, and spent money and spent for, 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 for sort of the money spent for Ren is quite a lot of money. You know, they bought Muasta from, from Nancy, he was over five million. They bought uh, Ismail Asar from Mets, that was 17 million. Um, They've, they've, they, they had start, certainly started to recruit really, really well. Some really exciting youngsters came in and then it sort of stopped. Um, there was obviously then a huge chunk of money that came in thanks to the Dembele deal, 25 million euros there or thereabouts. Um, yeah, it sort of stopped and there's still then, well, we were left with a, a transfer window closed and we're still left then with a problem of, well, we're sort of putting some square pegs in round holes up front because we haven't actually recruited a, a proper out-and-out striker. Right? So much was resting on um, De Preville coming in that they almost neglected to think, well, what happens if that doesn't? So it was a transfer window of, of two halves for Ren. You know, they, they started to recruit really, really well and ended it by signing a... They got Wabi, Wabi Kazri back on loan. Could prove to be a great move. I'm, I'm willing to be proved wrong there. Um, equally, we've, we've finally found a goalkeeper to replace Costile in a, a player I know nothing about, Czech goalkeeper Thomas Kubek from Sparta Prague. All I can say is if he's as good as the last goalkeeper we signed from Sparta Prague, we're in for a treat because that was Petr Cech. So keep those fingers crossed. But I come out of the transfer window feeling positive from the window, 
but obviously incredibly negative because of the start that they've made. But that's the life of a Ren fan. Yes, yeah. Um, don't talk to me about transfer windows, Rich. I could go on for hours, but I won't. Um, Phil, what about uh, yourself? Uh, a Montpellier perspective, um, sort of the the business. How do you how do you feel about the window for for your own side, and and also maybe the sides that are. And I'll let you decide who the who the sort of rivals in the league placings you think will be. So, which kind of clubs do you think are in and around Montpellier or? Uh, challenging Montpellier's status in the league this season. How do you think their business has gone as well? I'm not sure it's a question of challenging their status. They're all going to be scrapping to avoid being in a relegation battle like like last season. And I think one thing, uh, there was a, a tweet went out from outside the boot football who had uh, kind of rounded up who had good and bad league on transfer windows and they got Montpellier in as bad. And I'm not actually going to argue with that, but it is actually a perfectly normal transfer window for Montpellier in which they sold the two key players, um, obviously Mounier to Huddersfield at um, uh, our little friend Boudabou's, uh off as well, spent basically peanuts on replacements who probably aren't going to be as good. And then there were some kind of random free players that they just snaffled because they were there, um, you know, random South American and or player in on loan from the Russian league you know it was kind of very underwhelming um, but that's kind of what we used to uh, every summer basically Montpellier sells its two key players uh, this summer they actually got a decent amount of wedge for them which doesn't appear to have been spent on replacements but is something that the club needs to do so it's kind of par really and we're just going to have to hope that the returning Casimir Ninga does a job during Roussillon at left back uh, still looking great They've got Ikone in on loan for a full season this time. So, you know, it's going to be another bit of um, patching and stitching and sewing situation. Oh, one thing I just wanted to say about the, the, the window overall, as it were, uh, further to what Rich said, uh, the LFP does put out a report uh, with kind of key stats from uh, from the Ligue 1 uh, transfer mark, transfer window now it's only available in french but it is pretty interesting and one thing that's interesting is as, as rich said that the sales overseas seem to be for more money that the french clubs are actually pricing things properly compared to, uh, to maybe some of the deals that we're doing in the past and what's also interesting is the 10 million or over deals there's actually quite a big increase on purchases from overseas for that amount of money up from three last uh, summer to 12 this summer and also within france from there were only two last summer for this summer and this doesn't include the mbappe deal because it's inverted commas alone so there has actually been a lot of movement and increase in value of the overall market even if you ignore the psg-ness as it were which is kind of interesting that maybe suggests that clubs are at least getting a bit more um uh a bit more practical about the prices they're actually charging, um, which is uh, kind of good to good to see. I think that's probably one thing actually that that this will sound weird to say, but has come as sort of a positive outcome from the Neymar deal. Is it suddenly just changed the transfer market both within league and but also you know around the world that you know we're now looking at ridiculous prices. Um, you know, it's hard to it's, it's difficult to see how. And, and see again, seems odd to say, but Man City signing Bernardo Silva for 40, 43 million, something like that, that's a bargain. And it seems stupid to say that because it's obviously a 
ridiculous sum of money. But had that sale happened post Neymar, you know, that, that could have been and perhaps should have been for a player of his talent pushing the three-figure mark. So, you know, that Neymar deal has changed the landscape, not to sound too dramatic, but it's ch- probably changed the landscape forever with regards to transfers. A lot of people were saying kind of the same thing, but in reverse for Lamar, that if, if Arsenal had tried, really made a concerted effort to get Lamar earlier in the window, they probably oh. probably... Don't have got him for please. a lot. Sorry, <laughs> they would have got him for a lot less than you know the hundred million that oh, that was being touted at the end of the window. And I think um, there's still that frustration that it feels like every summer all the top players are, are leaving and every team has to kind of start again and rediscover these new gems that are going to go again the next year. But um, similar to what Rich said, if nothing else, I think um, Liga is certainly if they, you know, if because of that they're struggling to, to say compete in European competitions, for example, they're certainly increasing in in influence. Um, I think one of the sort of small episodes of the window that I enjoyed the most was when it looked like Mendy was going to go to to Man City for a certain amount, and then they spent a ridiculous amount on Carl Walker. And Monaco said, "Well, hang on, Mendy's clearly better better than Walker. If you want him, you're going to be paying more than that." Um, and it was it's just nice to see a couple of league and teams, even though it sort of doesn't necessarily have um, a great effect on com- competitiveness within league. At it's just nice to see that a couple of teams are not allowing themselves to be pushed around um, by the rest of Europe anymore. And you know the the, uh, the La Liga's sort of and Real Madrid and Barcelona's pathetically childish um, behaviour recently, I think, is in a way it's uh, it's something that I think Liga should have quite a big smug smile about. Um, just yeah. um, and our good friend Muhammad Ali has actually tweeted out some of the key points of that LFP report, including screen grabs and explanations in English. So um, worth checking out his timeline to, for a bit more detail if you can't actually make your way through the full. Yes, yeah, that is uh, an excellent shout. Um, if you want to follow him, he's uh, at Muhammad with two M's, uh, Ali, also Muhammad. Ali underscore 93 so you can find him there to uh, check that out well worth a look um Jez we'll, we'll finish with you as far as sort of transfer window goes then um I just I want to ask you about um rather than the big two as I will call the Monaco and PSG I want to sort of uh, ask you obviously about Mets so please feel free to to jump in there but also what do you make of the business done by the clubs that are fighting for the the best of the rest if you will so your Leons your St Etienne's uh, your Bordeaux's I mean you, you can throw a few into that niece but Who's done the best business? Maybe who's done the worst? And is is there a club that you think could maybe catapult its way up into those European places based on the the business they've done in the summer? Um, I think that I think Nice have had a, a pretty decent transfer window, all things considered. Um, they've just had an awful start, but I think it just depends how some of their players react to everything that's happened. Balotelli obviously is always um, a bit of an unknown, sort of what kind of form or mood he's going to be in. Schneider, I think, needs to lose a a stone or two, but everyone knows that he's got the ability. Um, As Rich said, I think bringing Mendy back is brilliant, and a lot depends on 
um, Seri, with Seri, sort of how he reacts to the disappointment of not going to Barcelona. But it is only three match, four matches in, and despite their poor start, I think if that team clicks and they've got as good a manager as any to, to make it click, then I think they should start a good season. Um, Lyon, I think, have had a really good transfer window, um, as well as the luxury, again, of, of having some really good youngsters coming through. Um, they started like a train then sort of for two and a half matches, and the last match and a half has been not brilliant, but I still expect them to be challenging everyone but the top two. Um, and I think Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux are probably the most interesting because I think they those are the two that have had relatively big overhauls, especially Saint-Étienne. I really like the moves they've made and um, I just think, you know, it's it's really, it's like a new brush. Everything's different there. Everything feels different. There's, um, you know, even down to the darker shade of green on their kit. Um, it just feels like a a new club, a new team, a new era. Gautier did brilliantly, but it was getting quite stale at the end. Um, and I think they've got a really nice balance of very talented young players. Um, I think they've got a lot of speed in that team. And I really like the, the stuff coming from Cabela this week, saying he had other offers, but he wanted to go there because he liked the um, the style of play that Oscar Garcia promises to, to instill in the team. So I think they're exciting. And then Bordeaux, you know, we all love Gouvenec and that team more and more is sort of becoming Gouvenec's team. Um, I felt going into sort of the last day or two of the window that the one thing they were really missing, I think I might have said it last week, actually, I'm not sure, was um, a decent striker. Um, and I think De Preville is a more than decent striker. And if he stays fit and fits into that team and Malcolm continues the form that he's been in the, the first month of the season, I think they could have a really fantastic season. Um, on the other side, I think Lille have had a poor window. I don't expect them to do much. Nantes have also had a kind of a big overhaul, but I'm very unconvinced by a lot of it. And again, I know I'm going to make lots of enemies here, but I'm still not convinced about Ranieri. <laughs> um, Sacrilege. Yeah, but there you go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I said, Mets have had... I think a pretty awful window. They're, they're just kind of, they're playing high stakes because they're relying on quite a few signings of people who've been in the doldrums for the last three, four years. They've got a former German international defender who can't get into Stokes team. They've got um, a player who was struggling in Belgium. We've spoken about Rue and Riviere. They've got an exciting winger who hasn't played top class football for 18 months because he's had some kind of cocaine related ban <laughs> so if all these players click it could be good but it's uh the odds are probably stacked against that happening and um you know so far no points and they've got psg this weekend last year they they stayed up partly because at this stage last year they had nine points that's a quarter of the points they needed for the season five games into the season they're almost certainly going to have zero points so it's a hell of a, an uphill struggle for them right from the start mm. yeah I agree with that I'm, I'm going to make a bold call here but I'm going to say that Bielsa will last one season um, and that's it uh, as things stand unless things dramatically change for Lille um, he's not he doesn't do it as nastily as Mourinho no but true. he does seem to kind of always engineer 
a reason mm. for him to leave heroically. Um, <laughs> but leave he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. And I also have a suspicion that St. Etienne might just be the surprise package this season. I've said it pre-season and their transfer business, uh, this this sort of window, window sorry, has, has only strengthened my thoughts on that. And I agree with you on the Cabela thought, thing. I thought that's a really big statement for him to say he likes the style because I don't think anyone would have said that about St. Etienne in recent years. So very good business done by all. And um, we should wait and see how it clicks into gear um, this coming weekend. But... Uh, We'll leave the transfers there for a minute. We, I think we've got a couple of questions from our listeners about them later on, so we may come back and touch on them at the end of the show. But I want to uh, talk Le Bleu at this point. Uh, France, of course, have had the senior team. This is, have had two important qualifiers at the complete polar end of each spectrum. Um, Phil, let's start with you. The, uh, the first of the, of the two was a thumping 4-0 victory over a haphazard um, and certainly uh, not on peak uh, Holland or Netherlands side, whichever you prefer. Um, Tom and Limar celebrating everyone and, and his uncle wanting to sign him on deadline day by scoring one belter and, and a tap-in. Kylian Mbappe also on the score sheet after an opener from uh, Anton Griezmann. Um, it was straightforward, wasn't it? But uh, how much of this was down to France being exceptional and how much was down to the Dutch being, well, really not very good right now? Yeah, I think um, possibly edging towards the latter. I mean, one thing that just kind of made you chuckle towards the end, obviously, is Mbappe scored that injury time fourth, which was his debut goal, and everybody went mad and was tweeting all about that. Tom Lamar also got his debut goal uh, for the for France uh, at the senior level earlier in the match, and then got a second one, and yet again was a kind of had his thunder stolen by uh, his now former teammates. So maybe uh, you know one winner from this Mbappe situation obviously will be Lamar if he gets to to shine a bit in his own uh, in his a bit more in his own space. I mean, Netherlands just looked kind of disorganised and when we come on to the second game that France played over the weekend that kind of meant that France were free to you know gamble uh, gaily through uh, the the defensive line the midfield whatever uh, was putatively there in front of them because there wasn't much organisation in front of them or coming at them so they just kind of went forward and, and, and did their thing so um, you know obviously a very very good result um, it's the other match that's really kind of the the problem. And we will, of course, come on to that other match in a, a brief moment in time. Um, but, Jez, what do you what do you sort of make of, uh, not so much the French sort of new setup, because it's not really a new setup, but there's some players that are coming into the side um, that are really starting to find their feet. Lamar and Mbappe are the two obvious ones, but is this sort of a squad that looks like it's becoming fresh, ready for a World Cup challenge next summer to you? Honestly, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> they should be, and on paper they are. And I think there's quite a few sort of snobby English journalists who are kind of building France up just in order to, to have digs at them um, when they stumble. But it is still a, you know, the talents that everyone's talking about are still very young talents. I mean, you only need to look at Bappe's complete lack of um, tactical discipline against Luxembourg whether he likes it or not he was he was picked to play on the right and he he barely stayed there at all just I thought I think spent too much of the match getting in other people's way um I 
you know, we see against England in a friendly or against um, the Netherlands once they're down to 10 men and it's pretty harsh sending off um, what they can do when they're, you know, they've really got their, uh, when they're really let let off the leash. But the fact is that in a competition, it's not going to be as simple as that. It's not going to sort of all be, um, you know, friendly exhibition style. Um, So, I think it's unfair to put too much pressure on such a young, albeit talented team. Um, you've also got to remember, you know, Dembele wasn't there because he's, he's he caused a, a transfer situation. Mbappe um, possibly wasn't match fit or certainly maybe wasn't entirely mentally there because he'd caused the, a transfer situation. Um, much as I love everything about him and his mature... Uh, uh, interviews and things like that, I do think there's an element of arrogance creeping into his game. Um, his goal-scoring celebration is already annoying me, not quite as much as Griezmann's, but it's still annoying me. Um, I, I think they need to be careful to keep their head on the ground, not believe all of the press about them, because they've still got a long way to go. Mm. And very good points made there. And speaking of things that annoy you, um, a lot of French footballers' haircuts really annoy me. But um, we won't dwell on that point. But I'm sure you can pick out, listeners, those at home, that haircuts that annoy you, which is ironic coming from a man who looks a bit like a pirate. But, you know, nevertheless. It's not um, a great advert for head and shoulders, is it? It's not, is it? No, no, it's really not. Um, Buffon and Griezmann together in that advert. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Rich, uh, just sort of rounding up the the four 0 victory over over the Dutch. Um, it, it's it's kind of one of those one of those things where you have to take into consideration where the Dutch are, um, which is clearly not a great place. The um, the was it the who's the player that sent off? Is it Streetman? Yeah. Off. Yeah. Um, that obviously had a, a big turning point in the game, but. Do you think the wider scale, and we'll come on to the other result in a minute, does a result like this make the rest of Europe sit up and take notice? As as we saw with Spain, who beat Italy, a lot of people took up, uh, stood up and took notice and said, right, this is the Spain we remember. Do you think the same can be said of France outside of France? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think a lot of people have, perhaps wisely, and perhaps it's going to be a, a benefit to France, heavily caveated the result with, Strong France performance, um, you know, some good goals, some really good performances from individual players. But the heavy caveat is this is a very, very poor Dutch side. Um, I'm hoping that by hammering that home, that will hopefully be something that will stick with some of those younger players of, you know what, it, it took until, you know, deep into the second half for us to really make the game properly secure against the poor Dutch side. So I'm hoping I love that, that you can... Said, can I just say, I love that you said for us there. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that as well. Um, coming, coming into... I mean, we'll come to the, set, the, the the Luxembourg game, which in itself should be the biggest slap around the face. Um, but, you know, there's there's plenty of positives to have taken from that game. But, yeah, I think that, that caveat has to, be, has to remain in place um, just to curb any sort of overhype, both externally and, and internally, um, with regards to that squad. 
Mm, agreed, agreed. And um, let's let's bring it screeching to a halt and down to earth. And Jez, um, if I said to you, sort of pre-game, that Luxembourg would come and frustrate the French, and for long periods of time it would be frustrating, you'd probably go, "Yeah, I can sort of see that." But if I came to you and said Luxembourg will take a point from the Parc de France, what on earth would you say to me? And and what happened? I mean, it was absolute dominance. Um, and yet they couldn't break down a side, which I don't even know where they're ranked. They're like, they're like, they're I think I read somewhere that's the first. Wow. And first clean sheet since 2009, I think I'm right in saying. Against, Their last uh, match was a clean sheet. Oh, okay. So I take that back. So prior to that then, um, I think it was Moldova, um, who obviously are a European super club uh, or superpower. But um, yeah, I mean, what what was your reaction to that result? I mean, did you watch it and what did you think of the whole thing? There's two ways of looking at it. I mean, you have to you have to say it was one of those games. The keeper played a blinder. They hit the bar twice. Okay, Luxembourg hit the post once as well. But um, it just felt like one of those games that was never going to go in. I mean, 36, I think it was, shots at goal, although only six, I think, on target. But at the same time, it's more than that. And that's kind of my issue and the thing about keeping the feet on the ground. You look at France seem to be struggling to string two decent results together. And, you know, there's recently been interspersed with decent results. There's been a complete mauling by Spain. There's been a defeat by Sweden. Um, there's been this result. And it, it's almost, the team's almost in the image of Pogba in that they, they play a decent game. Um, head, head sort of expands a bit. Um, and then sort of don't turn up to the next match thinking it's already won. Um, it's something that we keep getting frustrated about with Pogba, and it seems to, I'm not necessarily saying it's his fault, but it seems like that kind of attitude has become contagious and spread through the whole team. And despite the bad luck, the fact is they should have beaten Luxembourg, simple as that. It doesn't matter which players were, were fielded. Luxembourg's goalkeeper, whose job is... He, he looks after a swimming pool. Um, you know, it's not, they're on different planets. And, you know, the first half chances were missed, players were kind of smiling. It's still a World Cup qualifier. Um, Luxembourg has still got two, three decent players. They're, you know, one of France's close neighbours. They've got pride. The match has to be taken seriously and, and France have to show their opponents more respect. And that's why I think, despite all the talent that France have got at their disposal, that I think the players, and I'm going to come back to it, but I mean the players really need to work on getting their head right and just um, remembering that, you know, they're not even, in my opinion, they're, they're not even in the top three best teams in the world at the moment. They've got a long way to go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's hard to argue with right now. As we said, uh, England clearly are one of the best three in the world. Not. Uh, um, yeah, the less said about them, the better. Phil, is it, are we overreacting slightly to this result? I mean, is it just a case of, you know, you, they hit the bar, was it three times in the game? Clearly, the dominance was there. Huge corner count, huge shots count. If, if one goes in early, are we all sitting here saying, you know, it's a 5 0 win straightforward and, and everybody relaxes? Um, or should we take this a bit more seriously and say, well, it wasn't? So we have to react to what it was, and that was a yeah. nil nil draw. Yes, I, I think that's very, that's very true because it, it should have been a 4 or 5 nil, uh 
win and the fact that it wasn't is a problem and as just said there was kind of oh yeah we're fine it's ha ah, i've hit the bar whatever in the first half but then when you realize shit we are running out of time and we are you should have seen the odds on this game i mean you know they so should have won it and they kind of went from oh yeah it's fine we'll score in a minute to blind panic very quickly and that last that last period that five ten minutes at the end was absolute chaos but you could see them panicking i mean looking at uh, obviously joubert the, the goalkeeper was one of had one of those match of his life situations but you know as, as we said they got over 30 shots but how many saves did he actually make i mean it should have been a hammering and the fact that it wasn't it's very easy to say yeah, sometimes you have bad games, but even having a bad game, that group of players should have been able to beat Luxembourg. So it is kind of concerning on that point. Obviously, Bulgaria beating Sweden kind of saved them a bit table-wise. So it's going to be very interesting, obviously, with the, the games coming up in October for the final two. Now, Bulgaria have won all their matches at home. France are away to Bulgaria next. Yeah. And Bulgaria have got a player called Kostadino. <laughs> sadly, not an Ivanov, though. Do you remember him from 94 World Cup? He was yeah, he died, bloke, sadly. He? he did, didn't he? You're absolutely right. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, oh, take me back. I, I do miss USA 94, but we, we don't talk about that as French football fans, do we? So <laughs> let's just not talk USA 94. Um, Rich, you get the easiest question in the lot then. Uh, lucky you. Uh, does this affect France's qualification? We've touched on it there. Does it, does it affect not only the actual qualification itself, but does it affect the the sort of the, the preparation, um, if you like? Because it seems like that France will qualify, but does this sort of prompt a bit of a rethink, as it were? That, that's exactly it. I think it's raised some questions that Deschamps was hoping to avoid in the immediate short term. Um you know, tactically speaking, and, and certainly personnel-wise, and how the how those players are used. Um, one thing I do want to say, just just with regards to the match, it was one of the best yet most you know, one of the best and also one of the worst defensive displays I've seen for, uh, from that Luxembourg side. They were terrific, but there was no organisation. <laughs> there were just ten men in the box hurling themselves at everything. It was wonderful to see. Uh, you know, as, as nil-nils go, this was a brilliant nil-nil to watch as a, you know, if you were watching as a neutral. Um, because some of that defending from Luxembourg was, I mean, it's heroic, but I really don't know if they knew what they were doing half the time. <laughs> uh, Not a clue. It's very Sunday league, <laughs> isn't it? But I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't want to sound like being patronising any or, or doing them any kind of disrespect because it was a brilliant effort. You know, a huge, a huge effort from them. But my goodness, was it utter chaos. At yeah, I mean, a lot of the kind of clearances didn't actually go very far and no. ended up falling to a French player who really should have been smashing in the rebound and that never happened. So, yeah, it was a little, it, it was more obdurate than organised, perhaps. It wasn't, it, wasn't ex it wasn't exactly Iceland uh, ripping up the tournament like in... Euro 2016 was it you know it wasn't like that it wasn't a disciplined organized performance it was as you say a little bit of panic stations um rich i'm gonna i'm gonna drag you up on something there um to say it's not patronizing um 
I don't think we've got any Luxembourg Luxembourg listeners. Uh, if we have, I'm really sorry to to, to you, um, but I don't think we have. So let's just be honest. You know, France have to be winning these games, don't they? Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah they, they do. But yeah, the, to, to go back then to sort of those questions, I think it raises is, is certainly over the last few games, it's seeming like Deschamps wants to try an almost sort of four four two kind of formation which if he's persisting then obviously with Pogba and Kante in the middle begs the question of how he's going to fit all these attacking players into two wide positions and two central attacking positions. Um, I, I, along with all of us, I think, have been huge Giroud fans for France when they were playing that sort of almost one-up-front formation. Now, they, now they're going morphing into this sort of 4-4-2 kind of formation I do start to wonder, is it time that we look at, you know, does Lacazette now warrant a start? Is he a, is he a better fit now? We've always been you know, defending Giroud because he was the perfect player for that role. Um, that role has now slightly changed, I think, with this formation that Deschamps is trying at the moment. And therefore, it's only right that we then question which player is ripe for that role. And I then start to think, and I think we certainly saw that um, over the course of the two games, I'm not sure Giroud is the right man for that role. I would like to see Lacazette there. But it's then a question of what happens then when Dembele comes back. You know, presumably he will look look to play on the right. And Bele, uh, sorry, Mbappe obviously prefers to play more on the left, but you can't, you, know, you can't drop Lamar in the form that he's in. So do you play Mbappe in a central role? Does he do, do he and Lacazette work together? What happens with Griezmann? You know, you've got Fekir coming back into form. So it's it's the old cliche, isn't it? It's a, it's a nice problem to have, but actually it's it's a it's a really tricky problem for 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 what what, what Deschamps will do here. Um, I I feel I still feel like. Giroud seems to be the scapegoat for everything. Oh, he absolutely I mean, People is. have a go at him for his poor performance against Luxembourg. The fact is, he does nothing without service. And when you've got um, 34 crosses that all miss their man, um, okay, maybe one or two are his fault for being in the wrong place, I don't know. But um, he, he can't work with, um, you know, Kazawa's poor crossing. There's, n- there's nothing he can do. I don't, I don't think, I think possibly Giroud is, I think he's been fantastic and what he's done for France thing has been massively underrated because of the whole Benzema debate. I do think as long as he's not in the Arsenal team, it's going to be harder and harder to justify starting with him. But I don't think, I don't think there's any way that he'll be dropped for Lacazette. I think if he's dropped for anyone, it will be Mbappe. I think there's going to be so much clamour and I know Deschamps doesn't, isn't affected so much by by sort of public clamour, but the fact is, like Lacazette, even though most of them have been bit bit part chances, he's got one goal in thirteen. Mbappe is the future. I think if Deschamps drops Giroud, it will be to find some way of playing Mbappe and Griezmann down the middle. Yeah, I concur with that, and it, of course you wonder, depending on Lacazette's form for Arsenal as well, whether that will sort of decide Deschamps uh, or make Deschamps mind up for him because if he's playing at the expense of Olivier Giroud you wonder if that will have a knock-on effect in his France career and of course we all know 
that uh, all the French strikers at the moment are just keeping that place warm for the inevitable Riviera rise at Mets. Uh, I'm sure you're going to say Sonogo. <laughs> no, no let's, let's, let's not go over the top, Jess. Let's not get silly. Um, he's got to stay fit more than anything else. But yes, uh, I don't think Yaya will be troubling that World Cup party should France get there. Um, that rather seamlessly transitions us uh, into Le Grand Debat this week, uh, which is all about Didier Deschamps. And uh, I'm going to give you all a little soapbox. There we are. I'm handing it to you as we speak um, for you to pop yourselves on um, and have a chat uh, about Monsieur Deschamps. Is he the right man for the job? Uh, if he is, please state your reasons why. Uh, if he isn't, please state your reasons why. Uh, let's start with, oh, let's go ladies first. Phil, what do you, uh, what do you reckon? Um, I think uh, I was watching the, post-match interviews after um, after the Luxembourg game and they start as they often do with Samuel Umtiti who seems to get this gig a lot I think because he's smarter than a lot of the others and also a very measured person who um, actually makes a lot of sense and he was talking about it being difficult to play against such a kind of sterling defensive effort of course he's talking about that from standing at the back as it were um, Deschamps made much the same point but less convincingly almost in, in his um, post-match interview and it does seem to be that France does struggle to break down kind of uh, the low block but they they just weren't doing a very good job of um, pouncing on things as as we said the the Luxembourg defense they were obdurate they were doing sterling work but they weren't you know brilliant they weren't hitting it to the halfway line there were a lot of loose balls flying around and nobody was was getting in there and pouncing and one thing that kind of depressed me a little bit was seeing the banner on the bottom of the tv afterwards can Pogba and Kante play together and it was like oh my god is this the Gerard Lampard debate all over again in a really weird ironic way um I just watching it in a sense, it should never have happened, but you could feel it coming uh, at a certain point. You're just thinking, how how did that happen? The players are good enough. Yes, Mbappe was, was drifting out of position, whatever, but the Deschamps just didn't seem to know what to do about it. And when after the match, his payoff line was, if we played that match again, we should win it, but we didn't win it, that doesn't give you a massive amount of confidence in his confidence as it were. So it was just quite a, a depressing um, experience overall. Mm. It's kind of like if we score more than the opposition, I think we'll win the game type of comment that, isn't it? It's a little bit of a, yeah. a little bit of a loose terminology. Um, Rich, let's come to you next for your views on, on Didier Deschamps and uh, his merry bunch of men and tactics. Um, we had a question actually uh, that came into the pod from uh, a good friend of mine, Bobby Chakraborty, who simply says, do you like Deschamps' style of play? And what do you think of his France selections? So I'll, I'll sort of splice that into your answer um, when you state the case for or against. Uh, well, I mean, I've been a big advocate for Deschamps and, and I will certainly continue to be that. Um, it's nice to see that he is now starting to make those choices that, many perhaps didn't think were coming on certainly who what the kind of um selections that he's been criticized for you know there's no Sissoko now there's no Kabai those players were, were given plenty of opportunities and he certainly you know I don't actually think Sissoko let him down too much when playing for France but Deschamps was very clear you don't play for your club you put me in a difficult position ultimately I can't select you um 
I do still think there is a slight stubborn streak with some of his selections. Um, I can't say I watch a huge amount of Bundesliga football, so I can't comment on how well Kingsley Coman has been playing over there, but it seemed a little odd for me that he was included because I've not heard that he's been dynamite over there. Whereas Martial, yeah, okay, you know, he's not starting the games, but he's coming on, he's making an impact. And ultimately, Martial, like Coman, is not going to be a starting player. So Martial has, has proven you bring me off the bench, I can change a game. So I'd like to have seen, you know, Martial be brought back into the fold there. So there is, a, there is that stubborn streak with Deschamps. We've, we've now started to see, as I mentioned before, a slight change in formation. We're now going to have to see what he can do with so many, you know, real, real quality players at his disposal. I think when he first came into the job, his, his brief, I suppose, was bring harmony to this squad that's gone through so much over the last few years, bring some harmony to that squad. He's achieved that, and I think probably far beyond the levels that we expected. You know, we go back to uh, European Championships last summer. I didn't overly expect France to get to the final. Um, disappointing, obviously, that they lost, and perhaps disappointing in the manner that they lost, but I think if you'd have offered France uh, a runners-up spot at that tournament, Fantastic, considering what's happened at recent tournaments. So, I, I'm, you know, I, overall, I can only praise Deschamps for what he's done for the, for the side. Um, you know, he's brought a bit of pride back. You know, he's brought the, fra- the, the, the supporters almost back on. So I think the supporters are still a bit too fickle for my liking. But certainly, by and large, there seems to be a bit more support behind the squad than certainly when he first arrived in the job. Um, which, you know, he can only be credited for. Um, what I'm now looking for from him is a bit of flexibility, a bit of, of you know, he can mould himself to a change in circumstance. You know, we've now got this team where there are so many exciting youngsters coming in. He's now got to make sure he's using them to the best of their ability, keeping attitudes, keeping egos in check, um, but also allowing them enough free reign to show on the pitch what they you know what they can you know we we want Mbappe to be the exciting wonderful player that we saw last season. What we don't want to see is as Jez alluded to earlier, what was just sort of creeping in of an ego that may drift to the wrong side of the ego line, if you like. So by having all these players now at his disposal, he's got quite he's made <laughs> he's been put in a quite a tricky position. So what I'm looking for now from him is a you know, curb that stubborn side of him. Be a bit more flexible. Be a bit more reactive. Look at that Luxembourg game. There's no way and no reason why Nabil Fekir wasn't was well, shouldn't have been introduced earlier than the 80th minute, 81st minute, something like that. When you know, as soon as 50 minutes came up. And it became evident that Luxembourg were just putting everybody behind the ball. He should have been thinking, right, I don't need Kante now. You know, he's played well, but I don't need somebody shielding the defence. I need someone to unlock, you know, a 10-man penalty area. And Fekir was the man sat on the bench to do that. Fekir should have been introduced earlier. So it's those kind of changes that I want to see Deschamps doing more be a bit more reactive, be a bit more proactive in what he's what he's doing um, mid-game, as well as with his selection, but mid-game as well. So, um, 
the brief I think now for Deschamps has changed. You know, we're coming into what at the minute is going to be his final year of contract. Um, Rumoured that he's going to be offered an extension. Um, his brief now is going to be, you know what, you've got a squad that potentially is going to be going into, come, come the start of the World Cup, will be one of the favourites. You've now got to make sure you've got the experience, the skill to coach these players to glory. So it's it's going to be a tough ask, um, but it's going to be a mightily important few months for Deshaun. Yeah, yeah, well said. Some excellent points made there. And uh, Kingsley Coman, by the way, 30 starts in three seasons for Bayern Munich sort of says quite a lot. He um, he does, I think he does excite the Bayern supporters, but he doesn't get enough game time for me. So I agree with you on that point as well. Um, just I around don't entirely. You, you don't? Um, not, not a fan, Jez? A big fan of him and Martial, but Deschamps wanted someone to play on the right. Martial doesn't play on the right. I think Coman did a decent job against yeah. the Netherlands. Mm. Yeah, he was yeah. Tor- torturing that left back for uh, whenever twisted blood. Yeah, yeah, twisted blood. Um, just to round off uh, this uh, this week's uh, sort of just conversation debat, if you will. Um, the, the main question I want to ask you is: Do you think that Deschamps sort of biggest uh downside almost is the fact that he he is so you can say Arsene Wenger light but he's very stubborn you know he he has his favorites he has his players that he relies on he has his systems he relies on uh some of the players in that squad you could argue are past their best but still get picked regardless um and there's some of the players as you mentioned there Martial for example um where there's the potential and not getting picked so is that the ele- is there an element of that, or, or, or do you or do you just think that it's purely down to some people like him, some people don't? He's just divisive. I think there's a small element of that, but I think you've also got to remember. I know this doesn't win matches in advance, but Deschamps a born winner. Everywhere he's been as a player and a coach, he's won stuff. He's played in some of the best teams, arguably in history, with some of the best players in history, and I think he knows what he's doing in terms of stubbornness. I think there's an element of that as you'd get with anyone um, playing at the highest level of any sport. Um, it's international football and because of the nature of it, there's not you don't get that many chances. You get the odd friendly, but in terms of qualifying um, and, and tournaments, sadly there aren't that many chances anymore to sort of experiment. Um, when you qualify, you to qualify, you do whatever it takes to qualify, and I I think it makes sense to um, to play with the players that that have in the past sort of proven that they're going to do a job for you. Giroud's done that, and obviously Benzema hasn't. Sissoko is obviously the more divisive one, but the fact is he has played well. He's the only player who turned up in the Euro final. Every, you know, people criticised um, Deschamps for picking and then bringing on. Um, Gignac in the final the chance that everyone goes on about Gignac hit the post he entirely made himself and it was Griezmann the big star who missed two absolute sitters in that final against Luxembourg it doesn't matter who France put on it doesn't matter whether Deschamps turned up in the changing room before the match or not those players should be beating Luxembourg and the only the thing where I'm inclined to agree with Rich a little bit is um, sort of mid-match changes and substitutions um, I always remember in Euro 2000, I think throughout the tournament, practically every single substitution that Le Maire made 
there was a change in scoreline afterwards. And certainly all three substitutes um, basically won the final for France. Um, I think with substitutions, there's always an element of luck. But yeah, that's the one thing I might have criticised him for. You know, to me, it was Mbappe who kind of, as I, as I said earlier, I think he did in a way more harm than good against Luxembourg and he was the one that everyone was clamoring for for Deschamps to pick so I do think to an extent he's damned if he does he's damned if he's if he doesn't there's so many of these decent players around that you know if he brings on Lacazette instead of Fekir you're going to have people complaining if he brings on Fekir instead of Lacazette you're going to have people complaining he's never going to make anyone happy unless they win the World Cup um, the chances are they're not but the most important thing is to get there and if they don't, I really, uh, I don't, I'm not saying he hasn't made mistakes, but I think the fault is um, more with some of the players. You know, take the Sweden match. It's not, yeah, he could have made um, different calls on who was playing, but he also can't legislate for Loris doing what he did at the end. Um People criticising him for, for playing more or less the same team that started against the Netherlands because they were tired. They were playing a bunch of amateurs who'd also played three days earlier. Um, it's reasonable for him to expect that if he puts on a team full of multi-million, uh, the money's irrelevant, but full of paid professionals to be, um, like I said, swimming pool managers, um, they should be able to do that. Um, I think he's getting too much of the stick and I think, you know, it's the usual thing. If a team wins, it's all down to the players. If they lose, it's all down to the coach. But I think everything he's done for France, as Rich said, remember the state they were in um, when he took over. You know, Blanc had made a start in sorting things out, but it was still a poor French team. There were still massive discipline problems. Um, Deschamps sorted a hell of a lot of that stuff out, has made the, the French team popular in the, in the eyes of the public again. And uh, I think he deserves a bit more, certainly patience, but also respect. There's also, I think, the question of, it's not, I know it's not the, the best argument to be making for Deschamps, but it's a question of, if not him, who else? No, I think I, everyone's just waiting for Zidane, but I don't think he's ready to go yet. I, 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 yeah, I think he's, he's, a, he's a good way off yet. I think for Zidane, this is almost, taking on the national team would almost be an end of career. You know, when he's getting towards the end of his managerial career, I don't see him having any... Unless, of course, you know, Madrid go on and win the Champions League for the next three or four consecutive seasons, and he just thinks, done all I can here. Uh, you know, I want something different. But he seems to be the only one, but we're, we're, away, we're quite a way off that. Um, so I, I don't know who else. If You know, if... I fully expect Deschamps, unless, of course, they don't make the World Cup or you know they're out in the group stages. I fully expect Deschamps to be in a, you know, in a job for another two years. But you know we're still then just postponing that thought of, well, who else will it be? Will Zidane be ready? Will Zidane want it in you know in three years' time after the 2020 um, European Championships and? I don't know if he would be by then, and I don't know who else then it would be. And it's uh, there's there's for me there's no real viable options yet. No, no uh, applications in writing. Please care of French Football <laughs> Weekly will forward them on. Uh, Sam Allardyce need not apply. Um, yeah, it's just a debate that will run and run, and, and we 
we could have gone on for hours, but we're, we're conscious of time. So um, what we're going to do is just very quickly, uh, in fact, I think the first thing we're going to do is we're actually going to let Jez go because uh, Jez has got his own uh, France football audition for this evening. I mean, he's got to go and score at least seven goals this evening for his team. So uh, Jez, we'll, we'll let you go. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope it all goes well with football this evening. Thank you very much. Uh, and we shall continue with the two we've got left uh, just for a, a short period of time now. If we just quickly touch, Phil, on the under-21s, yes. as I say, I know we're conscious of time, but do you want to just give us an update on their performance over the past two outings and where that leaves things? Well, they had a match uh, last week, which was a friendly, which was 1-1 one, one, one against Chile, which I think was used mostly to uh, try out as many many of the team as possible to get everybody ready for the first uh, competitive game. The first game in uh, Euro qualifying um, was tonight against Kazakhstan. Now, uh, I did the piece this morning that we put up about the, the squad and the issues France have had with getting to this sodding competition. Um, they haven't actually made it to the tournament since 2006. So hopes were good when they kicked off with a very promising group of players and Kazakhstan went down to 10 men inside five minutes. Um, uh, Amina Harrit then missed the penalty, but you're still thinking this looks this looks okay. I turned over about 20 minutes in and only got to see one end of the pitch um, because Kazakhstan were basically defending with eight in the box and one guy ambling around uh, at the front. Um, and then they opened the scoring early in the second half, so you're kind of thinking, oh Christ, not again. What are they doing? Fortunately, um, Martin Terrier. Who, on loan from Lille to Strasbourg, got the opening goal and it looks like Kazakhstan's doughty defence and uh, spirit was then broken and they ended up France winning 4-1, a hat-trick in fact for Terrier, uh, so he'll be extremely pleased with himself and Jonathan Bamber got the other one. So it looked pretty nervy at half-time, pretty bad shortly after half-time, but then wound out okay in the end. So one of those things where I did wonder if the halftime team talk was going to be Steph Sylvain Ripoll just going, they're not Luxembourg, concentrate for God's sake. Um, so they have won. It did look a little dicey to start with. They have had some issues like Augustan being sent home for uh, bad behaviour, but this is all par for the course with the under 21. So do have a look over that, uh, that article we put up this morning, just for a little bit of context in why uh, qualifying for the Euros is a nervy thing for them. We do also have uh, one managerial change on the French national team front to discuss, which is that Corinne Diac has taken over the women's team um, after Olivier Echafni was let go after the disappointment of the Euros. So she is in touch. She is now in charge and there will be uh, friendlies against Chile and Spain uh, later this month. Uh, which will be her first on the touchline as France manager, having been the assistant to Bruno Bini uh, in the past. Good stuff, good stuff. And we wish her all the best, of course. I'm sure she'll do a, a fine, fine job. Uh, no pressure, though, of course, from, from us. OK, super. So that is uh, the week that was in French football. We're just going to finish with a couple of your questions just before we do um rich is there any uh fixture you want to pull out or two that you want to pull out for the weekend's league when it returns anything we should be keeping an eye on do you think 
Um, the <laughs> mentioned before we came on for recording what I what I'm now labelling the the underwhelmico uh, of of Marseille v Ren. Um, if it's as entertaining as last season's, uh, sorry, two seasons ago, um, when it finished uh, Marseille two Ren five. Um, we, we'd all be quite happy, wouldn't we? Perhaps uh, a couple of random Marseille fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think you're probably looking at the uh, the early Saturday kickoff, Nice v Monaco. You know, Monaco have made a strong, very strong start to the season. They're presumably going to be giving outings to some of their um, latter transfer window signings. And Nice, obviously, desperate for a win. So, uh, uh, you know, local derby. Should be a good game. Mm, absolutely, and do tune into those. And if you're again, as we said before, if you are watching French football for the first time, uh, give us a tweet. Let us know what you thought, good or bad. We'll, we'll, we'll take any any angles. So please do do watch a game and let us know. Um, uh, just another one. If we mentioned, there's there's a slightly weird scheduling pull on Friday. We've got two games instead of just the one, and the one that will be kicking off at six p.m. UK time. Annoyingly, will be Lille versus Bordeaux, which, uh, if we're going to follow with um, Richie's naming convention, could well be the Chaotico. Um, so kind of, I'm going to be watching that, wondering what on earth is going to happen there, uh, given the attacking vim on one side and the the weirdness on the other. Chaotico, I like that. Superb. Okay, good stuff. Right then, uh, Phil. Let's finish with some questions. Then um, these answers we're going to give to these questions. Let's make them nice and quick and short. Uh, but of course, give the people asking them a little nod at the same time. So I've got a couple here on my timeline, Phil. But what have we got to the podcast account as well? Um, we had one that actually came in last week, and we didn't feel we had time to do it justice, so we may not have that uh, again today. From Janzeb Shaheen, Bordeaux or Saint-Étienne, who will finish higher? Um, and obviously we've got questions about uh, the questions about uh, De Preville moving um, and what the hell Lask are doing, uh, getting rid of him. Um, and also from Flavs, who's more important for Nice when fit, Cyprien or Seri? I'd say Seri, but that's actually not as simple as a, a question as I thought it was going to be, if you see what I mean. Um, so uh, there's kind of those issues, Bordeaux versus Saint-Étienne, a key player for Nice, and you know the depraval move we talked about a bit earlier. Super, super. Okay, I've. Uh, I mean, we, we, we. I guess we've kind of sort of covered individual. Was, was there any of those that you wanted to take now, or anything that you want to address in any of those questions this week? Um, I, well, certainly on the on the on the Bordeaux Saint Etienne, um, I, I can't. I really can't make my mind up at the moment. Mm. I'm falling on the side of Bordeaux. Um, I really like the look of the squad. Really like the look of some of their signings. Um, Obviously, a big, big Gorvanek fan. Um, I think they're both going to be impressive this season. They've already made impressive starts. They've made some really good transfers. Um, so I think they, they're both going to be. I would like to think they're both certainly top six material. I think Bordeaux might just have enough um, uh, when it comes to just comparing the two sides. Yeah, I, I, I think kind of the same thing. They both play or at least have the potential to play really, really attractive football as well. So I think it's like, 
I've said before, I have no idea, but I'm really looking forward to finding out. And I actually think that Saint-Étienne might just edge it because while having kind of that new attacking vim that's been brought into the into the team and the management of Garcia, they've still got uh, that, you know, decent doughty defence. So I think they they might just nick it, but... Yeah, you know, it's going to be close, but hopefully going to be very, very good to watch. Mm. Yeah, here, here. Okay, um, I'll just pick out these couple off my timeline then. Um, this is a really good question, so I did want to get just a quick answer on this one if we can. Uh, who should I give this one to? Oh, I'm torn. I'll give this one to Rich. Um, Rich, it comes from a friend of mine called Tom, who's at TomJB94. Given Monaco's extremely low attendances, do you think they can ever reach the status of quote-unquote big European giant? Um, I think they've shown in the past that they can... In the last, well, certainly last season and um, it, it, certainly seasons start towards the start, end of the end of the nineties, early two thousand. They can compete in Europe. They more could compete in Europe. They don't really care about their attendances. They've they've never been a club to get big attendances. They never will be a club to get big attendances. That's just the quirk of of Monaco as a city, you know. And it's got a population that's very. Um, seasonal, they're, they're, they're not. You know, they're, they're in a part of the world where the minute you step outside of the that Monaco area, you're into you know Nice territory. Marseille scoops up a huge amount. Saint Etienne and Lyon to the north scoop up a huge amount. And of course, you go east, you're into Italy. So, from a geographical point of view as well, they're they're limited. So, the tendencies they're not they they don't care about. You know, they've got a small compact ground. It gets it gets full for Champions League games. It doesn't for league games, as we've seen. We saw last season quite clearly. It doesn't affect them, so it's not going to stop them progressing. They'll continue with this project, and if they can, you know, turn over the same kind of results as they did in Europe last season, why can't you call them a European giant? Yeah. I think yeah, well said. looking at that stadium, it's glorious. Everyone who goes there on an away day is blown away by it. It's okay. It's not a kind of a powerhouse, huge shopping mall. It's a boutique hotel, if you see what I mean. It might be smaller, but it's got a lot of class. Hmm. And it's that intimidating atmosphere, isn't it, as well, which is uh, sort of that all the people that are in there want to be in there. There's no sort of um, airs and graces about the fan base. They're all loyal, whether there's a large amount of them or not. They're all loyal towards the club they follow. So well said to you both. Um, final question then. Uh, this one is going to go to you, Phil. And this one comes from uh, James Housen. Uh, who's at Big Jimmy underscore V. He wants to ask Mystic Meg stuff here, I know, but who could be the best player this season uh, in, or in the future out of Mbappe, Malcolm or Lamar? I, mean, I really like that he put Malcolm in there because in a, sense, in a sense we always play Mbappe and Lamar off against each other a bit as the debate because it was so uh, easy to do that when they were both at Monaco. Um, I think... While you can't argue with Mbappe's quality, I think we all love Lamar um, just that little bit more. Um, and I think also Malcolm is great, but for me, I think Lamar has got more um, potential, more creativity, flexibility. Perhaps that he's got more potential to grow into into uh, a truly world-class player. So I think he would 
he would be my pick, whether that's um, kind of uh, wanting rather than thinking, I don't know. But, um, you know, that's a, it's a really kind of good trio of players to think about because that was uh, one of Jantem's uh, follow-up questions about Bordeaux Saint-Étienne is, is Malcolm the most underrated player in the league? And hopefully not because uh, he's now being rated as he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's a joy to watch this season. So let's hope he carries on that uh, great form into the rest of the season. OK, uh, we're going to leave it there then. We've uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we've done a bit, bit of a bumper episode this week. So uh, our apologies if uh, if we've prattled on, but there was quite a lot to cover this week. So we've uh, we've got there in the end. Um, do give us some feedback if you like the longer shows. If you really hate the longer shows, uh, let us know. We, we try and cater to our audience. So thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, you can follow us uh, on the wonderful world of social media on Twitter, uh, which is at French FT Weekly. Uh, I believe we have a Facebook page as well, don't we, uh, Phil? I don't know the URL yes. to that one, but uh, I do apologise. I very rarely use Facebook because I'm too old. Um, <laughs> well, but... we very rarely use Facebook. <laughs> to be honest with you, there's not been a lot of activity up there recently since, since Gibbs stepped away, unfortunately, but we'll try to be better about that as well. Good stuff. Okay, uh, as football weekly, just just search for us. We're, there we're you go. Now. As I'm sure many people who listen to many podcasts know, uh, we're not paid for this. We all have uh, real lives and jobs to do as well. So unfortunately, we do as much as time allows, uh, which isn't always as much as we would love to do. So uh, thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Jez, who's obviously left us early to go and get those goals. Uh, my thanks to Rich Allen. Thank you, Rich. Thanks a lot. And thank you to Phil once again for pressing those buttons and making us all happen. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, and uh, Phil is off to work on her coloured spreadsheet. Uh, anybody wants to know about that, tweet her and ask. Uh, until next week, this has been French Football Weekly. I've been your host, Chris, at AFC Freddy 8 on Twitter if you want to listen to my ramblings. Uh, enjoy this weekend's Liga or indeed Ligue 2, whichever you follow. Uh, and until next, this time next week, uh, keep it French and enjoy.